You're listening to the 2020 Central Texas Men's Conference. This year's speaker was Peter Reed. Learn more at centraltexasmc.com. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5, it says there, But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It's interesting that scripture says here, we are dead in our transgressions. You see, death is the problem Transgression is the symptom. And in scripture, death speaks of separation, not extinction. It speaks of separation. And when a person's spirit and soul is separated from their body, we usually have a funeral. And you bury the last remains. And scripture speaks about the soul and the spirit living on. That's separation. We call it a person died. But it's important to understand that transgression or sin is not the problem, it's a symptom. When I was in college, I I, um, roomed with uh, one of the captains of the basketball team of the college that I attended. And he was studying kinesiology and he was doing an internship at the end of his college education at a local high school. And one day they were running some wind sprints in the gym and he stumbled and fell down and couldn't get up. They took him to the hospital and x-rayed his leg and found out that he had shattered his hip. And so they said, you'll be our guest here for a couple of days. Some doctor was astute enough to ask a very important question, and the question was this. Why would a 23-year-old male in top physical condition just, you know, stumble on a wooden floor and shatter his hips so they did a biopsy? And came back to my friend Brian, and they said, we're sorry to tell you, but you have bone cancer. And his femur, which, which you know, went up into his hip, hip joint, for years had been eroding with cancer, and that day he put that last bit of pressure on it, and it collapsed on the inside. What they did in his case, a young man had died in a car accident in Florida. He had donated his body to medical purposes should he die. They took his femur out, froze it, and flew it up to the University of Minnesota Hospital. And they gave my friend Brian a whole new bone. And after some corrective surgeries, he's led a pretty normal life since. It would have been a tragedy if they would have said, well, broken hip, we'll just put a cast on that thing and wait for it to heal. The broken hip was not the problem. It was a symptom. And you want to correct the symptom, you've got to address the problem. This is not rocket science. That is exactly the human condition. I'm missing a quality of life that only God can give me. That's called spiritual life. Better said, Jesus said it's eternal life. It's the life of God. There are a whole bunch of, of, uh, you know, light bulbs up here where I'm standing that are not shining, but that's not their problem. That's just a symptom. 
The problem is that they, they, they are missing the indwelling presence of electricity. And as soon as that problem is solved, the symptom of darkness is taken care of. And this is what happens when a person becomes a Christian. They receive a whole new quality of life called eternal life, God's life. And every human being in this world is created for that kind of life. But God has to give it. And it includes what Jesus called a new birth or being born again. In fact, I have the next, next passage of Scripture. I have this on two slides, and it's a very familiar passage for some of us veteran pew sitters. It's found in John chapter 3 and verse 1 when Jesus meets a theologian named Nicodemus. And it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter into a, a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going, and so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Pharisees in the day of Jesus were the conservative party of the theological schools. There were two of them ruling in the day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were liberal theologians, and they had the power in, in the Sanhedrin in the day of Christ, the ruling body of the Jews. The Pharisees were more conservative. They would be looked upon by you and I as legalistic. A Pharisee would not allow a Gentile postman to carry his mail because that would defile it by the time it got to the recipient. A Pharisee would only talk to one, per, one woman in public, and that was his wife, and certainly he would never touch another woman but his wife. So if a Pharisee was on vacation where I live on the Bodensee or Lake Constance in Germany, and he saw a woman drowning in the Bodensee, he wouldn't go to help her because that would make him ceremonially unclean in the eyes of God, and he'd let her drown. That's how legalistic they were. A Jewish boy by the age of 12 memorized the first five uh, books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. They memorized all of that, and then they would have a test on it. And if they passed the test, they would celebrate what the Jews call a bar mitzvah. And that word means son of the covenant or son of the book. pretty good Bible memory program. The thing about the Pharisees is that most of them had memorized 
the majority of the Old Testament. And this tells me the following about this man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus knew the word of God, but he didn't know the God of the word. You see, Nicodemus was a person who needed to be born again, although he was very, very religious. Being religious doesn't make you a Christian as much as going to McDonald's makes you into a hamburger. You see, you can grow up among God's children without being God's child. You can grow up in a godly home and still be godless. That was Nicodemus. And Jesus comes to this man and he addresses the problem. And he says twice in this passage, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Anytime a Jew said truly, truly, or he repeated himself, it's like he's saying, I'm about to say something really, really important. And to repeat themselves is just to make emphasis. You must be born again. Because you're physically, psychologically alive, but you're spiritually dead. You're separated from God. And you're missing a quality of life that only God can give. That's called spiritual life or eternal life. Now, you and I need to come to understand the fact that truth is discriminating. Truth is intolerant. One plus one equals two. Not because I have an agenda against number three. It's just that truth does not allow for that option. Love is intolerant, or at least it should be. When I stood at the altar and married my wife, Gabby, on March 27, 2004, and I said yes to her, I said no to every other woman in this world. And love doesn't tolerate a compromise. And Jesus said, you must be born again. And scripture makes this clear all over the place. In 1 John chapter 5 and verses 11 and 12, it says, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life and he who does not have the son does not have the life. And Jesus says, you need this life in order to enter into the kingdom of God. I live in a large lake. It's on the border between Switzerland and Germany. It's a very nice place to live. Our view is better than the Swiss view because we're looking at the Alps. And they're looking at a bunch of fruit trees. (laughs) And we like to eat uh, lake trout where I live. Lake trout have their kingdom and that's called water. I can cheat. And when Gabby and I went on our honeymoon, we went to to Egypt and we snorkeled. But I can't live in water permanently. That's why fish stay in their kingdom, and that's why we don't have lake trout applying to Bible school. They stay in their kingdom and I stay in mine because I don't have the ability to live in their kingdom, nor do they have the ability to live in mine. God has his kingdom, 
and I have my kingdom. And God's kingdom is an eternal spiritual kingdom. And in order to live with God permanently for time and eternity, I need to receive a quality of life called eternal life here and now before death in order that I might live with him for time and eternity. It's called being born again. I have a quote tonight. I brought it. It's by Francis Schaeffer, who will be familiar to some of you. Francis Schaeffer said this. He said, as the kings of the earth and the mighty men of the earth are born in exactly the same way physically as the simplest man, so the most intellectual person must become a Christian in exactly the same way as the simplest person. This is true of all men everywhere throughout all space and time. There are no exceptions. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Oh. Well, what happens at physical birth is that the life of a man passes into the life of a woman, and there is the creation of new life where there was, no life, where there was formerly no life at all. And at spiritual birth, the life of God enters into the life of man by the presence of his spirit and creates new life where there was formerly no life at all and one becomes literally a child of God. That is not just, you know, a Christian name tag. That is a term to describe a person who has received the life of God into their being and God has made them into his child. And a person becomes a child of God not because they did the right thing, but because God did the right thing. Friends, I contributed nothing to my own birth. My parents acted and that's why I'm here. And it's very much the same way in the physical realm. God acts and he makes me his child. John chapter 1 verse 12, scripture says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. You see, becoming a Christian is nothing less than a miracle. And it's something God does. If I fulfill the right conditions and would allow him to do that. The life of God through his Holy Spirit enters into my being and makes me his child. Not because I did the right thing, but because he did the right thing. And in that sense, it's by grace. The essence of life is that it's reproductive in nature. Life reproduces according to its own kind. That's why dogs have dogs instead of cats. And eternal life produces eternal fruit. Or the life of God produces 
the character of God himself. And that's what God is pleased to do if I'm willing to live with him on his terms and allow him to do that. If I could have the next slide, I have a picture tonight. This was taken on the lake that I live, in, live on. It's called uh, Lake Constance, and the Rhine River flows out of the Swiss Alps, and it, it, it runs down the border between Austria and Switzerland and flows through this lake, which is 60 kilometers long, 14 wide, and, and then goes down towards Schaffhausen and then up towards, you know, up towards northern Germany on the border of France. And all around this lake, there are warning lights, and if the German weather system knows that a storm is coming, these, these lights will start, start blinking. And the faster they blink, the faster you better get off the water because it's, it's going to be a strong storm. In particular, in the winter in these months, that's when the wind blows the hardest. And so when those lights start blinking, these guys in the picture get on the lake because they're windsurfers and kite surfers. I just go down, you know, five-minute walk from where I live and I watch the show. And I'll go down there with students, staff, or guests and I'll watch these guys kite surf and windsurf and then adult, educated individuals will come back to Bodensdale where I live and they'll say, man, did you see the wind this afternoon? That was awesome. Adult, educated individuals are saying, man, did you see the wind? Nobody saw the wind. <laughs> you see, visibility is not the last measure of reality. Something can be invisible and very, very real as that picture demonstrates. And although an invisible reality, although we can't see it, whatever wind touches, we'll see the effects. And Jesus said, when you're born again, it's like the wind blowing. And you might not be able to see the living God But when the Spirit of God enters into our being, there are certain things that will happen and you and others will notice. We can experience these things. And this evening, to start our conference, and this is what we close with really tonight, I just want to mention one thing that you and I can expect when we're born again by the Spirit of God and we become His child. If I could have the next slide, I brought a verse, a few verses from the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, 
And then he says this in verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's very important to note there that our calling is not to create unity. The command there is for Christians to preserve the unity that he creates. And the wonderful thing about becoming a Christian and receiving Christ into your being, he answers one of the deepest needs in the human heart, and it's the need to belong. It's the need for community. This need goes so deep that people stay in a bad relationship simply because they're terrified of no relationship. People will remain part of a group and they know that they're making compromises there. But they'll stay there making compromises because they don't want to be alone. And this is, this is one of the effects of the gospel. When a person is born again and receives the presence of the living God into their being, they become a child of God and immediately belong to a family. And this is wonderful. Because this, again, meets one of the deepest needs of the human heart, and it's the need to belong. It's the need for community. Because the the thought of being alone is absolutely terrifying. Uh, My older brother, Scott, when he got married, before the wedding, he called me in Germany and said, can you come and be the best man? I'm his only brother, so I was the perfect candidate, and of course I wanted to go. I was doing youth work at that time, and it was a tough time to leave our ministry, because we were hosting about a thousand middle-aged, middle school kids at our center. It's a wonderful opportunity to preach the gospel to them. And so I could only leave uh, the, the center for about four days and fly back to Minneapolis where I was raised. And uh, somebody kindly offered to take my place. And I flew from uh, Frankfurt to Minneapolis and I went to the lower level of the airport and I, and I stood at the carousel with a bunch of other people waiting for my luggage. I waited. And I waited. And it never came. And I won't mention the airline. But that's a stupid thing to have happen on a wedding weekend. And not only was my luggage lost, but a lot of other people's as well. And there were businessmen who had missed appointments. There were families with small kids who were going ballistic. And I'll tell you something. They were not happy campers. And there were two lines converging on this poor woman standing behind bulletproof glass telling these angry people when they could receive their luggage. Well, I was standing there among all these happy people And in the other line, there was a a young couple about my age. They weren't swearing at each other. They were not, you know, going ballistic. They were just standing there, very calm, and looked very pleasant. 
And they stuck out like a sore thumb. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but a thought raced through my mind, and the thought was this. I wonder if they're part of the family, and they know Jesus too. I'd like my friend who just got up and gave his testimony. I'm not an extrovert. I'm actually an introvert. And it's, it's, it's just not my style to go up to a complete stranger and say, hey, buddy, you've been born again? I just, I don't do that. I have friends who do that. I admire that. But that's just not what I do. But I was curious nonetheless. And so these two lines are, are getting closer. And, and lo and behold, I'm standing next to this couple. And I'm racking my brain. How can I start a conversation? So I looked at him and I said, so lose your luggage? (laughs) They said, yeah, so did I. Yeah, really stupid, yeah. Where are you from? I said, well, I'm originally from Minneapolis, but I I live in Germany now. Oh, really? What do you do in Germany? (laughs) Dun-dun-dun-dun. I said, I work at a Christian conference center in a Bible school. And they smiled at me. And they said, that means you're a Christian. I said, yes, I am. And they said, we were standing over there looking at you the whole time, asking ourselves if you're a Christian because we are too. And we had a group hug among all these happy people. And let me tell you something. I felt like I came home. That is something supernatural that the Spirit of God does when you belong to Jesus You walk into the presence of God's people and there is an immediate community. And it goes deeper than theology. It goes deeper than our denominational differences. It goes deeper than style of music. It goes deeper than culture, age, language. It is a supernatural unity and a family to which you belong. And it's wonderful. The Spirit of God is a spirit that unifies. Did you know at Pentecost, when the church came into being in Acts chapter 2, there are 17 different people groups from around the then known world who had gathered in Jerusalem. The population of Jerusalem at the time of Christ was about 350,000. When a a national festival like Pentecost took place, it blossomed to about a million. And there are people coming from all over the world. And at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, there are 17 different people groups that are mentioned there. They spoke different languages. They had different currencies. They had different ways of life. They knew different cultural traditions. And yet at the end of Acts chapter 2 in verse 44, we read this. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day and those who were being saved. The Spirit of God is a unifying Spirit. And when you come into the presence of those who have been born again by the Spirit of God, who are the children of God... This is not just, you know, you belong to this this nice little club called Christians. These people were selling property in order that others who had a need might have enough to eat. So this unity was much more than the warm fuzzies. This unity worked its way out in practice, sacrificially. And when you become a child of God, you belong to a family like that. It is a wonderful, wonderful group of people to belong to. And the basis of that unity is Christ himself. The living presence of Jesus by his spirit. It's supernatural. Now, I need to be honest with you this evening because Jesus said something else in the Gospels as well. And if I'm going to be true to God's word, I need to say this, which is the flip side of the same coin. One day, Jesus said this. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. Please note, it wasn't the Christian who sought the division. Nor was it the Christian's uh, fault, if you will. It was the presence of Christ in them that caused the division among those who don't want to have anything to do with Christ. And I need to be honest with somebody this this evening. When you receive Christ into your being, not everybody in your closest circle of friends and family may agree with that. And that's part of the reality of belonging to Christ in a fallen world. But... Although there may be division between you and somebody else, you will gain a family for time and eternity. And I've experienced both. And it's a wonderful thing that God can do in compensating in his family what might happen when people walk away from us. Not us from them, but them from us. Because they cannot stand Jesus. One last verse that I have on a slide tonight that I want to close with. And it's the words of Jesus. And he said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you may love 
one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's interesting that Jesus said, Christians, you love one another. Because if the gospel doesn't work in the church, we don't have a gospel to share with the world. So he says, you love one another. And I'll tell you something. When people walk into the presence of Christians who are born again by the Spirit of God and who have the very presence of the living Christ within them and then by the power of that same Spirit begin to love one another, it's one of the most powerful testimonies that we have to offer this world which is aching, aching for community. When Gabby and I got married, of course, there were a lot of people from different parts of the world there. Gabby comes from Stuttgart, uh, and, and I come from Minneapolis originally, although I haven't lived in the United States in 36 years. When I left the United States, Ronald Reagan was in office. And one of the people who attended our wedding was my grandmother, who was over 80 years old. And she'd made the trip with one of my aunts to come over to the wedding. And the day after the wedding, Gabby and I came back and we said goodbye to some of the, the, the guests from overseas who were going to get a flight home. And as we were saying goodbye to my grandmother, she said something very interesting. She said, you know, I've been to a lot of weddings in my life. I can imagine, 80 plus years old. And then she said, but here there was a different spirit. That was Jesus. That was the aroma of the presence of Christ among his people. And she noticed it. And it was attractive to her. I was walking down the street towards where that picture was taken with the, the kite surfers and the windsurfers, and a lady was coming out to get her garbage can, take it back into the garage. I just said hello, and she knew by, by accent that I wasn't from that area, and she said, who are you? And I said, well, I'm Peter Reed. I work at Bodenzeov. And then she said, oh, Bodenzeov. Uh, Mr. Reed, let me tell you something. There were two teenage girls that called last winter and they wanted to rent a room in my bed and breakfast over New Year's. And I said, no way. Two teenage girls over New Year's, forget it. And then they said, oh, that's too bad. We wanted to attend Bodenzeov's New Year's conference. And this lady said, oh, Bodenzeov, oh, you can come. No problem. And then she looked me in the eye and she said, you know what? Those people from Bodenzeov are different. And I said, Mrs. Hummel, let me tell you why. We're not very special people in and of ourselves. But we have Jesus. I brought a picture tonight and I'll close with this one. 
Gabby and I used to take our bikes to a bike shop and, and have a guy named Matthew uh, repair our bikes. And um, one of the Bible school years, I think this was last year's school year, he was, he's from Canada, married a German gal, and, and uh, Germany was home for him. And he was in a German bakery and heard one of our students trying to speak German to order something at the bakery, and he realized he's, he's not from here. And so he went over and started talking to him, found out he was from Canada. And, and my friend here, Matthew, said, well, so am I. What are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm going to Bodensdale. What's Bodensdale? Well, it's a Bible school. Why don't you come over? Uh, we, we have a, an event once a month. It's called The Crossing, and it's for all kinds of young people. And so he came into the presence of God's people. And these Bible school students are between 18 and 23 years old. And he walked into the community of God's people. And he sensed Jesus there. And shortly thereafter, he received Christ and was born again. He showed up at our New Year's conference a year ago. He was there this year as well. And Gabby and I looked at each other and said, hey, that's the guy who repairs our bikes. What's he doing here? And then they told us the story. And I was thrilled. And that's just one story among many when people come into the presence of God's people who are going about the business of loving the body of Christ and the other children of God in that family. And they just ache for that. If you'll notice on that picture, there's a red Bible in his pocket. That's a Gideon's Bible. I said, Matthew, where'd you get that? He said, oh, my grandmother gave that to me years ago. I don't know if his grandmother ever lived to see the day where the word of God worked in her grandchild's life. Sow the seed. Sow the seed. Friends, this evening, to belong to Christ is to belong to a family And this is not just like-minded people who are doing the same thing called church. This is a body that is filled with the supernatural presence of Jesus, which is able to overcome so many things that would normally divide us. And it's a wonderful thing to belong to the family of God and experience community. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of belonging to your son and hence belonging to the other children of God who are part of the family of God. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of living, yes, as imperfect people, but with a perfect Savior, but who can live authentically in love in a community that this world is just aching just aching for. And Lord, I'd pray that out in our various local bodies and the areas from which we come, there would be love that has been worked by your Spirit and that when others come into our midst, they would come to know Jesus there. Thank you for the time this weekend with one another and at the same time with you. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.